Listen, you don't play D&D to go to college. You go to college to play D&D. Make a move, adventures calling. Forest fires, cougars falling. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. So, looks like I need to go back to GM school. I've been feeling like I've needed to do that <laughs> a bit recently because I've been running into some interesting problems, I think, in my games. Which, it, it, it is interesting, really, that no matter how experienced you become at this thing, uh, there's always new ways in which you can fuck up. <laughs> or, or not necessarily fuck up. Um, I think there are always new ways in which things can go wrong. Let's put it that way. Or maybe not even go wrong, but just in different different ways in which expectations can be muddled between a GM and and their player, their players. So I've got a few more calls <laughs> about the whole Barney Bone scandal of 2020. Barney and his bone. The good news is we've completely resolved it all. As if you've been following the last episodes, we have got into rather excruciating detail about all the issues there. And um, we literally just finished the second session. And I've got to say, it's one of the most enjoyable sessions of, of any gaming that I've run in, in, in a long time. It was, it was absolutely hilarious and fun and very improvised. And we all went with it. We all ran with it. And it, it ended in beautiful chaos. And I think we will come back for a, a third session. Everyone seemed to be really into it. And, um, you know, this was the game, The Watchers of Wolverswick, that I've been running for Scott Dorwood and Barney and Spike Pitt and Spencer. And um, I really do want to put it up as an actual play at some point because I think it's a bit of a masterclass from those guys in, in just how to play your characters. Um, in this very, oh, I don't know, like creative, fluid, intuitive, and 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 kind of heedless way, I think, I think, I think what's great about the way that all of these guys play is that they don't really care about the consequences, but not in a way that is um, destructive or or disruptive. And, and I was, I think, I was unfair to say that Barney was disrupting. I think I really was, and that's what he was probably reacting to when he refuted it and. He's right. He wasn't disrupting. I, I tend to, uh, I don't know, conflate things and, ex and, and exaggerate them and, and, you know, for dramatic effect often uh, as part of this podcast. And I am a bit of a provocateur myself. I'm a bit of a provocative fucker myself. Um, but yeah, the, the chaos that ensued from, from the decisions that their characters quite logically made was just perfect and it drove the whole session. It was very little... Almost nothing in there was 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 in the scenario or by the book, as it were, 
And I, I think it's a bit of a masterclass, to be honest. And I, and I would like to put out. Unfortunately, Scott's uh, internet connection is garbage. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. And um, he's crackling a lot on it. And I, I'll do what I can to clean it up. And yeah, maybe I'll ask him to record locally next time. Or I don't know. Uh, it always seems a bit cheeky for me to ask people to record and kind of just land it on them that we're gonna it's gonna be part of an actual play. And but I guess we'll we'll see. But the reason I'm making this episode is that I think we had a bit of a bit of a turning point, or not turning point, but almost like a crisis point in our Master Nilathotep game last night. Not that it wasn't a great session. It actually ended up being an awesome session. But the first half of the session was, was, to my mind, was really slow and boring. And I was getting kind of frustrated. I was getting really frustrated, actually. Um, which is on me. Because I could have changed things up a bit or, 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 or kind of forced the pace. But I don't, I don't really like doing that. I, you know, like I, I'll give a couple of nudges, but I don't like to do this too aggressive scene framing, as Judge Judd Carmen called it, which I think is a great expression. Not in Call of Cthulhu, at least. I think, I think you can do aggressive scene framing in certain systems. It doesn't work so well in others. I think it works in systems where structurally there isn't a lot of connective tissue between the scenes where, in essence, you're cutting from one scene to the next. In Call of Cthulhu and D&D and other, what I would call, long-form long role-playing games, if that is a thing, I mean, I, I think they are long-form. What, what I mean by that is that is that you kind of experience them as a continuous, continuous part passage of time. Now, you can, of course, cut within D&D &D and within Call of Cthulhu. But I think the expectation is that you're living out almost day by day the experience of the, of the characters. Whereas in something like Tales in the Loop, it is by, by design, it is, it is scene-based, and you can just jump. You don't have to do the journey to get from one scene to the next. Whereas in other role-playing games, it kind of is implicit that you generally do do that. You, you play out beat by beat, moment by moment. So, rather than me saying, guys, you are now in the temple, I let them find their own time and pace and way to get there. And unfortunately, what this meant was we had almost an hour of planning. And this was on the back of the last session that was two hours of not planning exactly, but certainly just tentative exploration of the space and discussion about what they were going to do. So, in a way, we've had almost one and a half full sessions of not much happening, of just a little bit of exploration and then a lot of discussion about how they were going to tackle this admittedly very challenging and epic, you know, final scene of the chapter, as it were. Although it may not be the final scene. There's no, there is no set final scene for any of the chapters in, in, in Masks of Nihilathotep. I've been told I need to say Masks of Nihilathotep because everyone, not everyone, some people think I mean Masks, the role-playing game, which I don't. I mean, Call of Cthulhu, Masks of Nihilathotep. Sorry, Colin. Sorry, Spencer. So I sent a message to the guys today saying, and I was probably a little bit harsh here, I said, I'm never going to let you have four hours to plan anything again. 
the first half of yesterday's session was like watching paint dry. The second half was amazing. I suppose that is like me dropping a bomb into the <laughs> into the lapse, and boy, did it explode! So, look before I get into any more on that one. Um, I actually asked my players if they wanted to send in any like a their response really because we, we we obviously talked about it and um maybe they won't they probably won't um i think it's a little bit raw today <laughs> after my after my bomb you know there are some uh, flesh wounds um but um i'm gonna now play some messages from barney and from daniel about uh, which hopefully will just close out this whole the bone scandal of september 2020 um it's really interesting how people can so, like, everyone la layers their own experience, their own understanding, their own expectations onto a situation, and on, and especially onto a description of a situation. You know, you can't know, no one, no one can know really what went on in that session apart from uh, the people that played it. But of course, in the retelling of it, then it can trigger all kinds of other thoughts and, and feelings in people, and they're, they're, they'll kind of make um, analogies to their own experiences. And uh, I think that's where a lot of this, um, let's say these, these opinions and some of this critique comes from. Um, truth is, this was not in any way a, a game breaker or, or really an issue. And, and I think that out of it, we've actually created something really interesting. And um, I have now actually listened to a little bit of the, of the audio and uh, most of it's okay, but some of Scott's stuff is it's rough. <laughs> it's going to be hard to listen to. Uh, I'll really try and clean it up because, um, yeah, everyone was kind of really happy after that session. I think we all we all felt like we had created something good out of that chaos, out of that disruption. And um, the more I think about it, the more I realise that although I said the scenario was pretty terrible in many ways because it was really there was nothing there. What I realized on, on thinking of it, and as, as now we've played two sessions, is those tiny little fragments of information that are in there, almost unnoticeable, they open up all of these potentials, all of these possibilities for improvisation and creative role-playing. And that's exactly what happened today. Characters sprung up out of thin air and, and became major major motivators of movers of plot. And... and um, you know, things were morphing and shifting before our eyes, and I, I think we've, I think we've got something quite cool going on here. I, I can't imagine the way this has played out is, is, is any way, in any way, like anyone that's ever ran this scenario before. And I suppose that is that is a good thing. There's a lot of scenarios that do sort of railroad you, and this one absolutely doesn't. Daniel, maybe you'd like playing this one. <laughs> I'll have to run it for you sometime. Yeah, like hell. So, um, anyway, here's here's Barney and, and Daniel closing off. Hi Andy, I've just listened to your call in to Jason, um, listening to you fret about this bone and what happens if I said I found it because it all hinges on where it was discovered and all that kind of thing. Um, all I can think of really is that the you let the players discover another bone or you know that was just from somewhere else or like you say it was it was simply the diff a different bone so no not the one that risby equal sold to them but the other one that swan sold to them 
I don't know. I mean, I don't think that to me is not rocket science. But um, I don't know. There we go. What I'm driving at is that perhaps we could have gone to the museum and there's the Risby Ickwell bone uh, and it's some pathetic, stupid little thing tucked away. And then you swing round to the to the the other the other real the real good bone that's all that's all that's just what kind of pops in my head there really and so i i'm not being pooey or pissy um i'm i'm just chipping in again that's all chipping in again see you hello there mr goodman oh you you've been having some trouble up at the museum with them newcomers to the village Oh, sorry, let me introduce myself. My name's Mr. Stephen Frank, so I live in Warburswick. Uh, I, so I'd just like to say, all this talk of an annex, I ain't mean no annex out of the museum. I mean, some fella come down from London with a big hat on, he had a, he had a tube full of plans and papers, and he marked out an area around the back, but there's been no annex, that's all there was. He just having something to do with the town hall or something, some problem with the plans. Something uh, but I mean, something about the sewage or the drainage, I don't know, but uh, I don't know. there ain't no sewers or drainage. There's only an old shed and an old latrine out the back there, and that, that latrine's only been that latrine's been there since Shakespeare's time. I mean, there's no sewers or drains. It's only uh, just an old hole in the ground that we put muck and ash in. I don't know what all the talk about that is, about problem with the town hall, why we shouldn't have an annex. And I don't know anything about artefacts or nothing. Who did? I don't know who your friend sold these artefacts to, but they ain't been no artefacts here. I hope he didn't sell them to old Mister Pop or the old treasurer. I mean, he, he hasn't had nothing to do with the museum for two, three years now. But um, oh dear, if he sold it, Mister Popper, then well, I don't mind telling you, it's a bit of a shame on the museum. He had to leave for financial irregularities. He did. Uh bit of a disgrace that was. We don't really talk about it, but um. Oh dear, if he sold the artefacts to him, then I'm afraid they're gone. Your friend might be robbed there, I'm afraid. Well, that's not good. If Mr. Popper's going round pretending to be still associated with the museum, we'll probably need to notify PC Bertram of that. If he's going round defrauding people, pretending to be part of the museum, that'll look badly on the village. And I'm sorry to be stepping on your story like this, Mr. Goodman. I think it seems to be like everybody knows everyone's business these days and wants to involve themselves in things that's got nothing to do with them. But I, so I know my place and I, I, I'm begging your pardon. But sounds like your friend Barney there. Sounds like he's going full Marlon Brando on you there. I'd watch that if I were you, Mr. Goodman. I mean, it wouldn't happen in my day. You know, my day, the GME was as powerful as the Almighty himself. Pardon my blaspheming there. But, you know... I wouldn't have happened, would have had a nice bit of railroading. Wouldn't have had any of this emerging storyline, you know. I mean, really, I think you need a balance in these things, don't you? I mean, railroads, it's like a boring straight line, isn't it? But that emergent storyline, that sometimes goes nowhere. So sometimes I think you need a nice in-between, a bit of balance, like in your diet, you know. Because uh, you, you don't have balance in your diet, you just end up with constipation, don't you? So you take care there, Mr Goodman. So, Andy, I've been listening to all of the various statements that everyone's made around this whole discussion that we've got going on and I've been thinking and you know I know you know how dangerous that is so I've been thinking and especially after your 
uh, your message to Jason, especially after your message to Jason, I've been thinking, I've been pondering it, thinking, and I, I do, I realise what I did, I realise what I did, and you did spell it out in your message to Jason and pretty much in your last episode as well. So, you know, takes takes me a little while, takes me a little while. I took ownership or I attempted to take ownership of your scenario hook, didn't I? You said as much, you said as much. And that was, that's, that's the rule I broke. That was the rule I broke, wasn't it? Now, as I've outlined in my other messages, that came from the place of being an aristocrat, being the landed gentry from that area with some kind of archaeological aspiration. So it came from a totally good place. But I'm not so stupid or arrogant to just throw a spanner in the works. So why why did I do that? I'm racking my brains. So maybe, maybe I just thought, oh, it must be a kind of MacGuffin. Then it can't hurt anything or it can't do any harm to throw that in because we're going to be going somewhere else something else is going to happen but this is where I want to bring it back round and have some kind of make some attempt at self-justification here again but generally but in a general kind of way um I guess I don't I can't I couldn't believe I can't believe I couldn't it's I wouldn't believe that we would be just playing a game that that would operate like that. You know, if this was if this was literature or a film or something, we would be thinking this would be just uh you know, it can't all hinge on that. And I'm sorry for leaving all of these messages. This was all just meant to really be one, maybe two. So I'm terribly sorry about all this. Um, uh, you know, if I think back to Forget Me Not that we played, that you ran for us, um, that you know, that didn't come down to any, any one thing like that. And it was totally direct. You know, it had a, it had a, an aim, it had a goal. There was something going on. Um so yeah so i i my mistake my mistake was just 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 trying that just thinking this can't it can't be it can't be so central but as you've um outlined a little bit it is and i'm really looking forward to just finding out how central and how and all of that so thank you there you go that's my lot bye well, hello, Andy Goodsman's. I just calling in to say to you that I've left a couple of messages with that old there Jason there, and I just want a second 
that whole goddamn thing of riding the blue pony. That's right. I put my saddle up on that old son of a bitch, and I'm going to ride on into the sunset without on that old steed of mine right there. And that's all I got to say. Now, did I hear right that the blue pony is some kind of filthy joke? Like, you know, because they eat horses in France. Hey, Andy, it's Daniel in New York. Uh, replying to your being a better games master uh, post. So, I mean, I don't know the whole story, but I think it's kind of an interesting situation. I do think that you can um, derail um, intentionally or not intentionally as a player and maliciously and not maliciously. It can just happen. Um, I'll try to hit on a couple of the points if I can, although these messages are so short. The first one, the character being from the location, that's something that maybe should have been discussed, and I, I can't really blame a PC for doing that uh, unless you told them not to be from that area or that it was a mystery of that area. Um, the other two things I will put in the next message. The part about um, him deciding that the bone or whatever was something he sold, that's a place where I, where I would draw a line often as a GM, even though I'm super open to players putting stuff in. What I tend to do in my groups is give them the opportunity by presenting that, being like, oh, you're an archaeologist, you know, you found this bone. Where did you find it? Tell me about it and give them that chance to role play. But when they just uh, impose themselves on the setting, especially if it's a mystery, uh, you know, I, yeah, that, that to me is derailing. And uh, again, maybe not maliciously de derailing, but it's kind of like you don't know um, what's going on here. And RPGs in general are not just straight up storytelling games. And you do have to have some kind of respect for the fact that there is a story slash plot underneath it. I guess my main point here after the third message is that, you know, there's different types of game. There's, there's, there's more open-ended, there's more kind of closed-ended, especially mystery games are like that. And it is both on the player and the GM to understand and recognize that. And a good player will kind of pull back. Um, it's kind of like what you said about thinking about the group. A good player will pull back and, and do what's best for the group. So... If you want to make this character that has all these connections and blah, 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 but that's not really good for the story, then to me, you're hogging spotlight and you're not being a good player. Again, I wasn't there. I'm not making a judgment on anybody. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't nearly that. But at the same time, you have to really be aware of that. You know, uh, and I've had this happen in games and I simply just tell the players they can't do it. I mean, and I'm very open-ended to, to going around with what the players like. But man, sometimes, you know, there is a bit of a narrative you got to keep to. Hey Andy, Daniel in New York, listening to the Pony Express episode, so the story continues here. Again, I still don't know everything, and I haven't listened to the other podcasts, but um, I think it's interesting because you're speaking about language, and maybe derail is not the right word. Uh, maybe uh, hijack, you know. Uh, you, you as a GM are still a player, and you have your role. You know, your role is to have the secrets, have the control of the world on some level, and you are there almost like a dealer or, or uh, passing out uh, cards or, or passing out uh, plot points that the players uh, can then work with. So when a player takes it upon themselves to just take something from you uh, before you're ready to give it, that's kind of a hijack. And that can be negative to the situation. You know, again, whether they're doing it on purpose or not, it sounds like it wasn't malicious, of course, and everybody had a good time. 
but maybe uh, hijack's a better word. And there we have it. And look, as I said, I don't think if you weren't there, it's very hard to really understand exactly what went on. And I think that Daniel, you know, quite rightly didn't know anything that was going on. And he admits that that um, he can't have knowledge about really the, the context. But I think some of his comments, his comments were really valid and sound. But I don't think they applied really at all to Barney. Um, Barney... I love you, man. I will play with you wherever, whenever, you know. Uh, roll 20. Um, what, what did I call it? Uh, in, in Trump's totalitarian twat fest or in Boris's Brexit balls up. Wherever you want, man. I will play for you, play with you, and play at you. So I suppose I better get back to the initial point, which is... You know the, the kind of, well, I suppose the the, the excitement <laughs> of last night's session and and my frustrations and the and the frustrations and possibly hurt feelings of some of the some of the players because I suppose I, I leveled a pretty big criticism at some of them which was like you plan too much and you know I think that is a bit unfair of me and because the reason they're planning this much. It comes from a really good place. It comes from an amazing place, actually, if you think about it. In total contrast to the group I of elder statesmen, let's say, <laughs> that I ran um, earlier today, the Watchers group, um, who just ride it like they play it like they stole it. They ride it like they stole it. You know, it's clearly a one-shot, so that changes things. But I think that's the way they play anyway. I, I definitely get the sense that's how they play. What my mass group does is very different. They they get so deeply invested in their characters and in the consequences and outcomes of what happens to their characters that they are genuinely scared, terrified, nervous, anxious, um, freaking out, and and their reaction is one of absolute visceral desire for life. I want to live. Give me life, fucker which is, that's amazing. And I guess I'm being really too faced about this, I suppose, if that's the right word. I'm being a bit Janus-like. Because on one hand, I utterly adore and applaud and implore the kind of reaction and emotional engagement that I got from Sid when, when her character died. So it is unfair of me to not expect them to truly, utterly care about what happens to their characters. And yeah, if you are so worried about what's going to happen to your character, you damn as hell sure want to make sure they don't die. You hell yes. And if that means you you want you spend a session and a half planning, that's what you do. But I think the problem I have is that yes, on one level this is amazing engagement. Let no, this is amazing immersion immersion okay let's go back to this one it's not great engagement because actually it's pretty boring it's pretty boring listening to planning because planning is all just speculation and it goes around in circles and it never gets anywhere because quite rightly you don't know what's going to happen you know wargaming you know no plan survives contact with the enemy we know this everyone knows this so but but, of course, <laughs> at the same time, fail to plan, plan to fail. 
or whatever the hell that expression is. So even though you know your plan is going to fall apart immediately, if you go in with no plan, then you're almost bound to fail. And I suppose that is what's at the, the heart and in their heads. Um, so I've got to figure out how to get past this because I don't want to have endless sessions of discussion, all out of character, all metagaming. Because that's pretty much what, what planning is. And it's not good metagaming because maybe it'd be all right if everyone was into it, but clearly some of the players aren't. So they're getting bored. I'm getting frustrated because I, I'm so excited about this big set piece finale and it ain't happening. <laughs> they're too scared to go in and just let stuff happen. And as I said, this is amazing on one level, but it's pretty crappy on another level because... Because it means that it means that we're we're losing momentum. Um, I've told them. I've told them many, many times. I'm not trying to kill you. <laughs> I'm not trying to kill your characters. I I'm your biggest fan. I want you to win. But I also want to make this scary, terrifying, challenging, crippling anxiety. Oh god, that sounds a bit sadistic but I want them to be anxious but I also want them to be brave I want them to overcome their fears to, to go rushing headlong in even though they know they might die that's the whole point of being a hero it's not that you're not scared it's that you can act whilst being terrified that's what defines a hero you know you're not a hero if you're not scared because it's nothing to you if you're a psychopath no you're a thinking, living, feeling person, and fear and terror are there, and it's how you overcome them, how you respond to those awful situations. That was that's what defines you as a person and as a character <laughs> in Call of Cthulhu. You know, and, and I did try and point out, and in a very clumsy way, I actually, and, and and they were rightly a bit pissed off by this, and this might be where some of the hurt comes from. I said, look, you're you're making too much out of this. You really are. There's been one character death in a hundred sessions in a year of play. You must realize by now, I'm not trying to kill you. <laughs> and that, yeah. And, that, and what it means in a way, this is pretty interesting, is that the dangers are more perceived than real. If they were dying, okay, so this is interesting. If they were dying like every session, if there was a death in every every two sessions, like there often is in the Master of Nihilathotep, especially if you play it non-pulp, then yeah, they'd be right to, to, to be worried about dying. But at the same time, then death becomes meaningless. And also you don't become attached to your character. Maybe I'm being unfair to say, look, if there's only one death in a year, you shouldn't be scared of dying. Perhaps what that means is you should be utterly terrified of dying because it may have only happened once, but th there was no telling when that was going to happen. And it could happen to you, and it could happen next session. <laughs> it may very well happen next session because the Black Sphinx has just come out of that big old black hole at the back of the temple, and that baby don't take prisoners. No, we don't. It's a game we're role-playing I'm a stranger and you're making mistakes Smell your